welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power-packed message already in progress. Randy, I think you took out the moves. Didn't there used to be some moves? I keep on leaning. You took out the moves. You got to put those moves back in there. You got to put those moves back in there. That's how I get my dance steps together watching you, Brother Randy. You got you to gotta get those moves back in there. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to be able to stand in this pulpit and get a message to you from God. We are excited about this moment. But before I get started, I want to thank a few people. Uh, I want to start with Pastor in her absence. I never take it lightly when she says, Marlon, I want you to give the people a word. So I thank Pastor for this opportunity. As always, I thank Deacon Jones, who's in the house. Amen. I would be in trouble with Miss Alice, who I know is watching online, if I did not thank Deacon Jones, because Deacon Jones helps me make it through the week. Deacon Jones is praying for me. I love you, Linda. Thank you. And of course, I want to thank my prayer warriors, that when I'm preaching, there are a number of you, when I greet you, your response is, is that I am praying that's how we get a word from the Lord is when God's people are praying. But I want to thank one of my prayer warriors in particular. Uh, I think after Linda, he might be my biggest fan. I want to thank Brother Malik. What you don't know, yes, give Brother Malik a hand praise. Uh, I think... It goes back to our days in children and youth, but I've never called on Malik and he didn't answer to say, I got it. I've never text Malik and he responds, I got it. I don't know anybody in this church that's called on Malik and he didn't say, I got it. So, Folks, we need to be thanking God for a young man that is in the church and sold out for God. Brother Malik, I am proud of you. I love you, man. And of course, none of this is possible without God. And so I'm always thankful that God is working on me throughout the week so I can deliver a message to you. He's moving me out the way and occupying the space. So, Father God, we thank you in this moment. We thank you because you are the way maker. We thank you because you first loved us. We thank you, God, because you are sitting high and looking low. We thank you, God, because there is no other like you. And so, Father God, in this moment, in this time, and in this place, have your way. Be glorified. Keep our minds focused on you 
and not on us. Keep our minds focused on the word. Let us put down our phones if we're in the sanctuary. If we're at home, let us turn off the distractions so that in this moment, we are giving all our attention to you. So have your way, Father. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I reflected on Psalms 10 this week, I was reminded of a quote, a quote that a number of us are familiar with. It comes from Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. But to be honest with you, I didn't know the whole quote, so I had to go and do some research. And so the whole quote is as follows. It is the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of reason. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. I had to look that up. That means unbelief. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. And so as I reflected on this, I began to think about, well, how is it the best of times? And again, Mr. Derek, I had to go and do some research. And the research says that North Carolina has the seventh best economy in the nation at this time. Home values in Raleigh over the last five years are up 70%. The triangle will soon be home to tech giants, Meta, Apple, and Google. Some economists have been bold enough to say that our economy could even resist a recession. Best of times. But if we go to the other side of that for just a moment, food insecurity is up. Homelessness is up. On the way to church this morning, we were in the car, and as we turned the corner, there was this lady with a cart. And for those of you that don't know, I live 10 minutes down the street in Morrisville. And in this cart, she had all of her luggage. Sometimes out here in the suburbs, we think that homelessness is not present. We live over here in Western Wake, and we think it's not there. And what I said to Linda in that moment, I said, it's hiding in plain sight. The question for us is, what are the people of God doing about it? But I digress. Let me go on. So I decided to get a little personal. So how is it the best of times in my life? Linda has a new job she loves. She is vice chair of the deacon ministry. I have finished 24 years of teaching. I'm coming to the end and looking for a new career. Best of times. 
On Friday, I participated in my 21st high school graduation. And the truth of the matter is, some of those kids didn't need us. And others of those kids don't make it to that stage without us. Clearly the best of times. But if I'm honest, when I look at what has happened over the last month, it's also the worst of times. What do I mean? Folks, you, this is not a surprise to you. The Buffalo top shooting on May 24th. Uvalde, 10 days later, Tulsa, Oklahoma, medical shooting on June 2nd. And that's not even all the mass shootings that have occurred in that time. That's just the ones I have kept up with. Clearly, that's got to be the worst of times. Every time there is a school shooting, Deacon Jones wants to have a conversation with me. I understand why she wants to have that conversation because she feels like I'm in harm's way. But I finally said to Deacon Jones, I can no longer have these conversations because if I have these conversations with you, I can't do my job over there. But here's the reassurance I can give you. No matter what happens, no matter where I go, I take Jesus with me. And so ultimately, either way it works out, I am going to be fine. Because my relationship with Christ is in order. That's the best we can ask for. But if I'm honest with you, I began to think a little harder last week. Some of you may have noticed Deacon Jones and I were not present. We were at Pine Needles for the U.S. Women's Golf Open. For those of you who don't know, Deacon Jones is a golfer. She has been looking forward to this trip since the beginning of the year. My job is to get in the car don't say anything, don't make any waves, agree to everything and do whatever I'm asked the first time. As you can see, I did that last week. I am still happily married. But in all seriousness, I had a conversation with my mother that afternoon after we returned. And the conversation was that a cousin had died. Every time I have a conversation with my mother, and it's at least once a week, her response, her saying has become, there are people leaving this world. So it's supposed to be the best of times. Watch this now. It's supposed to be a time of celebration. Linda has had a great time at her I go outside, my neighbor 
of 11 years tells me that he is in the midst of a medical crisis. I show up on Monday at work and a colleague tells me they've got a three things going on. Mother's sick with a back injury, father's in the hospital, and the uncle died all in one weekend. Clearly, folks, this is the worst of times. So the question for us is, when it is the worst of times, how should we be responding? If we look closely at Psalms 10, David has given us some instructions. Because what I haven't concluded, folks, is that it is always the best of times and always the worst of times. Even if things are going well for me, they're not going well for someone else. So I can sympathize with David when he says in verse number one, oh Lord, why do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now, for some of us, it appears that that question is questioning God. And, you know, we get nervous because you're not supposed to question God. We get uncomfortable because we're not supposed to question God. Watch this. David has a relationship with God. What about you? David, if we go back to Psalms 9, is secure in his relationship. If we go back to Psalms 9 and 1, it says, I will give thanks to you, God, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. Verse number 2, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. If we jump down to verse number seven, it says, the Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Verse 10, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. David can ask the question because he has a relationship with God. Have you ever had somebody that you don't know ask you questions about your personal life? Maybe you haven't. I have. And I'll be honest with you, my response is not good. First thing I say, I don't really know you like that. You're getting kind of personal. What's your problem? Brother Andy, I'm learning to meddle out a little bit. I'm learning to relax a little bit because they say that's not a good look when I respond that way for the reverend. So I'm learning how to work on that. But the reality is you don't allow people who don't have a personal relationship with you to ask you personal questions because usually the tone is wrong usually the way they phrase the question is wrong it's usually the way it comes off is you don't know what point they're making 
So when you're asking God tough questions, make sure that you have a relationship with God so you'll know how to phrase the question. You'll know how to talk to God. David knows how to talk to God. Watch this. James 1, 5 through 7 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So point number one, folks, if you don't ask in faith, if you don't have a relationship, then you're going to struggle when you ask those tough questions to God. Because you're going to ask in the wrong tone. What, what do you mean, Reverend, about the wrong tone? Well, God doesn't answer to us. It is he that is the creator, not us. We answer to God. So if you don't understand, you might get the tone right, wrong. We should also remember that in our times of trouble, things are not always what they appear. It may appear that God is doing nothing to help us. It may appear that he has distanced himself from us. But just because we don't see him working doesn't mean he's not working. God doesn't owe us any explanations or justifications about when or where and if he chooses to show up. We got to understand and get our relationship with God, right? I'm currently reading or rereading the book of Job. One of my favorite books of the Bible. Because I'm always in amazement of Job's reaction to everything. Job was better than I was because as it all comes down, he still hangs on to God. That is my desire for myself. That when it all happens, no matter what it is, I'm going to hang on to God. But the best part is when in chapters 38 through 41, God responds. And basically, God tells everybody off. Job and all of his friends about their speculation, about their innuendo, about what they think. And he basically says, well, you're there in the beginning when I created everything. And they sat in silence because they were not. So what I've learned is that I must hang on to God's unchanging hand. John 16 and 33 puts it this way. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So Deacon Gino, don't be deceived. God is yet working for you even when you don't see it. God is yet moving for you even when you don't hear him. Things are not what they appear. But if we're honest, some of us blame God for the trouble in this world. 
We get upset. We get bitter. We want to know why did God not prevent the tragedy? The reality is God is not responsible for the chaos and broken hearts. It's the wicked people who are responsible. Wicked people follow their own impulses from their fallen nature and the influence of satanic forces. It is not, it is them and not God who are the source of violence and oppression in this world. David lays out the characteristics of wicked people in verses 2 through 11. Let's quickly go through those. Wicked people are prideful. Verse 2 and 4. Remember, folks, pride was the original sin against God because it is Lucifer who thought he should be exalted higher than God. They are lustful and greedy and they denounce God. Verse 3, they believe they are unshakable and forever be troubled. Three, free. Verse 6, they are liars. Verse 7, they are lawless. Verses 8 through 10, he lies in wait near the village. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his nest. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. Wicked people always seem to prosper. They think God is not looking at them and their sins. Satan has deceived them. This is verse 5 and 11. Satan has deceived them into thinking God is not interested in justice or concerned about innocent victims. Remember, folks, Satan also deceived Adam and Eve. That's how we got here. So then, what must we do in the face of all of this? David gives us an answer, my favorite answer, my new prayer. He calls on the Lord in verse number 12. He says, arise, Lord, lift up your hands. Do not forget the helpless. I thought about that. Arise, Lord, and lift up your hands. Who will be able to stop the hand that set the world on its axis? Who will be able to stop the hand that called light into existence? So I get why David said, arise, Lord, and lift up your hands. Because, see, when God lifts up his hands, Pharaoh's bend their knee. When God lifts up his hand, seas begin to part. When God lifts up his hand, chains begin to break. When God lifts up his hands, giants fall. When God lifts up his hands, pandemics end. When God lifts up his hands, children will be safe at school. When God lifts up his hands, 
You don't have to worry about going to the grocery store. You will be fine. When God lifts up his hand, those people in D.C. and in Raleigh will do something for God's people. When God lifts up his hands, that means he's taking some action. So my new prayer is, Lord, lift up your hand. I don't know about you folks, but I'm tired of the pandemic. I'm tired of inflation. I'm tired of people being thrown out of their house. I'm tired of people being food insecure. Lord, I'm ready for you to lift up your hand. But I love it in verses 13 through 18. When David begins to give God a report, watch this, on the wicked people as if God doesn't know the report. David says, wicked people are mocking you, God, in verse number 13. They say you will not hold them accountable. But I feel like David is living out Isaiah 43 and 26. He's putting God in remembrance of his word. Because in verse number 14 says, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief. You take their hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Verse number 15, break the arm of the wicked man. Now, I don't want any emails, and I don't want any texts about what does that mean. It means that we want their power to be gone. Take away the power of the wicked. Call the evildoers to account for their wickedness that they would not otherwise be found out. With unshakable confidence and faith, David declares in verse number 16 who God is. Lord, and the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish, but not God is his implication. The Lord hear the desires of the afflicted. You encourage them. You listen to them. You hear their cry. You defend them. Verse 18, defending the fatherless and the oppressed. So that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. So, Lord, I'm ready for you to lift up your hands. Break the arm of the wicked. But yet there is more for us. We must declare our faith just like David did. Not to remind God, but to remind ourselves. Too many of us, instead of declaring our faith in God, have grown weary in the moment. I had to look up weary because I thought, well, maybe, Minister Derek, it just means you're tired. I said, well, it can't be any harm in being tired. But that's not what weary means. Weary means that you've lost 
all your strength. You have lost all of your endurance. You have become stale. There is no freshness in you. In other words, you've lost your hope to carry on because you are depending on yourself and not God for strength. So as I went throughout the school year, any time that I thought I might get weary, I began to pray. And somebody said, well, Reverend Jones, how do you, what did you pray? I began to pray Bible verses. I'm going to give you a few. You may want to jot them down. So what Bible verses should you be praying when you think you might be weird? Well, number one, Galatians 6 and 7 through 10 is a great one. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. People are reaping. Man is reap what he sows. Verse number eight, whoever so reaps to please the flesh from the flesh will reap the destruction. Whoever reaps or sows to please the spirit will from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, folks, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In other words, let's put our hope in God. When we get tired, let's go to God for strength. But one of my favorite ones that I pray is that I lift up my eyes to the hills which cometh my help and my help cometh from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Mr. Miranda, I wrote down one of your favorite ones as well. Isaiah 41 and 10. So do not fear. For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteousness right hand. But if that's too long for you, how about this? I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Better yet, how about Exodus 15 and 2? The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has come, become my salvation He is my God. I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. Too many of us have not learned how to press our way. We are allowing the devil to make us weary. We are allowing the devil to let us give up because we say we tired. Do you think the enslaved ancestors ever got tired? Do you think the people that fought in the civil rights movement ever got tired? What will be said about this generation of believers if we allow ourselves to grow weary in our time that we needed to be strong? What will they say about us in this moment. If we are the people of God, we must act like the people of God. It's not our battle. It's not our ideas. It's not about us. It's about God. And when we get that right, then we will be able to move on some of these issues that we have before us.
but we're letting everything divide us. What do I mean, Minister Derek, about pressing your way? One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the woman with the issue of blood. What do you mean, Reverend? Because she didn't let the crowd stop her. She didn't let the naysayer stop her. She didn't let anything stop her. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. If I can just touch the hem. I don't even want to touch him. If I can just clutch his clothes. We got to figure out how we going to press our way like the woman with the issue of blood. That's the only way we're going to make it. So as I take my seat, in case you missed it, don't be deceived. Things are not what they appear. God is not sleeping on the throne. He's not sleeping at the wheel. He sees and hears everything. And he's still in charge. Learn what your relationship with God is all about. Because when you have the right relationship with God, you can ask God anything. Doesn't mean he's going to answer. But it means if you can learn to ask him anything in the right way, you have strengthened your relationship with God. If you learn that, hey, he may not answer me right now, you have strengthened your relationship with God because your task is to hold on to his unchanging hand. Number two, in case you missed it, it is the wicked people that are responsible for the troubles in this world, not God. Don't let anybody tell you differently. Number three, call on God and stand on your faith. That's what it's for. The word says if you have just the face of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. We've got to stand on our faith in a time of trouble. And God's people have got to model that example for the world. And finally, folks, don't grow weary with doing good. Don't let anybody stop you from helping anyone else, helping your church, helping the community. Don't let anybody turn you around. Don't let being tired, don't let being retired, don't let anything get in the way of what God has assigned you because whatever strength, whatever commitment you need, God is going to give it to you. You just got to hang on to his unchanging hand. So as we close out, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You are definitely reaping what you sow. Thank you. If you are ready 
to give your life to Jesus Christ. We invite you to pray this prayer with us. And it says, Dear Lord, I admit that I am a sinner and there is nothing that I can do to save myself. I ask for your forgiveness. And you can do this if you are streaming. At this moment, I believe you alone are the one who bore my sins when you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Today, I turn from my sinful life and invite you into my heart. I will trust you and follow you all of the days of my life. Thank you for saving me and hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. It is our prayer that this message will enlighten and empower you to do the will of God. If you have a prayer request or praise report or like additional information on Pleasant Grove Church or other recorded messages, come visit us in person or write to us at Pleasant Grove Church, Post Office Box 3603, Cary, North Carolina, 27519. Or call us at 919-363-5198. Or visit us on the web at www.pgc-carry.org. Thank you again.